saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. This next hour, we are studying the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light, and that when, when we walk in that light by His fellowship with Him, His blood is cleansing us from all sin. The light shines on us today from Ephesians chapter 5. When you look at chapter 5, I mean, there's a lot packed into the book of Ephesians. And I would see today's as kind of a, I guess you would say, motivational speech, grounded in Christ and what he's done for us. But he says words like, walk in love, walk in the light, be imitators of God. Don't do this, don't do that. We need to do better is what I feel at the end. But how does it happen? Not by our, um, within ourselves, not by what we do, but by Christ who raises us up, O rise, O sleeper. How does this work? How does this look? You'll find out more today. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we have with us actually twice within a week, Pastor Kevin Parviz of Congregation Kai V. Shalom. Pastor Parviz, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Good morning. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, you guys are making up for me not being there in January and February. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, Pastor Parviz, I was thinking this after we talked last week, is one of the, um, this is a season where there's a lot going on for us as Christians, but I was thinking, you know, as you do a lot of work within the Jewish community, um, obviously a very uh, knowing the Jewish community as well, yourself. Uh, as we look at, as our season is Lent, we go into East, you know, to Holy Friday and Easter and beyond. What are some major things that happen for the Jewish community this next few months that maybe is good for us to to know or understand as Christians? Well, sure. This is obviously um, the Christian faith has its roots in the Jewish cradle. I guess that's a mixed metaphor. Sorry about that. But um, <laughs> I love it. But um, yeah, so Lent, I mean, Lent has its roots in the preparation period for Passover, which we're in the midst of right now as Jewish homes are preparing their homes to celebrate the Passover. Uh, of course, the last couple of years, last year and this year, it's a little more difficult to do Passover seders with large crowds, but uh, uh, but they're they're still preparing their homes for that. Uh, they just came through. I, there's a strong connection between Ash Wednesday and the Feast of Esther, uh, and mm. those two happen concurrently. And so we, you know, much like we begin our Lenten season with Ash Wednesday leading into the, to Lent and into Holy Week, the Jewish community begins with Purim and, and this this grieving by, by Mordechai and sackcloth and ashes leading into this preparation period of removing leaven from our homes, sin from our homes, as we prepare for Passover. So hmm. it's, it's a very parallel presentation, yeah. And, that, and that's helpful, because I know last time we, we spoke, it was Purim was going on uh, the, the day of, and I forgot to ask you about it, but I know that was a, a, major, um, a major festival people were celebrating in the Jewish community the day we spoke. So that's why I wanted to uh, ask you again today. Any other... Any other um, festivals that are happening? I mean, obviously, the the spring, 
God knows when people can travel in Israel. So he he <laughs> decreed these festivals in the spring and in the fall. In the summer, it's too hot. In the winter, it's too wet. Uh, so we have coming up, of course, after Passover will be the festival of Shavuot, which we in the Christian church call Pentecost. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's all, I mean, the Jewish community is celebrating, uh, unfortunately, looking through these festivals dimly, as Paul will say, um, but they are, they're doing the same things that we as Christians are doing without seeing the fulfillment of these festivals in Messiah Yeshua. So that's the, uh, the nature of our ministry. I wrote a uh, Lenten devotional, it's on our website, uh, about the Jewish festival calendar and how we walk through it during Lent. Um, um, called Ponder the Path, if anyone's interested. But, uh, yeah, but the connections are really amazing. And, of course, the connections, Jesus is celebrating Passover when when he institutes the Lord's Supper. Uh, you'd be surprised at how many congregations that I've preached and taught at over the last 20 years who that was a new concept for them. Because wow. the words of institution seem a little bit, I guess, out of context when we use them regularly in our worship services. Uh, and I always set them in the context of the Passover Seder. So, Well, as one of my confirmants told me, he said, why do we eat stale? Why do we have stale bread for Jesus's body? Right. <laughs> which I thought was, which I thought was kind of funny. So it was a great segue to talk about the Passover and why it was unleavened and so forth. Now, what is the website where you have this Latin devotional? What is the website? So it's uh, www. Uh, the easy one is www.lije.org. Org. Uh, that would be uh, Lutherans in Jewish Evangelism. L I J E. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you for that update. I appreciate all that you've you've brought, and it was great to learn a lot the first time we were together and learning about all the connections that are there. And obviously, it's very relevant for our text today, but also the whole book of Ephesians. So as you look at Ephesians chapter 5, um, Pastor, how about, can you begin us in prayer, please? Absolutely. I can praise you for this new day, and we thank you for this blessing of being able to be in your word, and we, we thank you and praise you for the blessing of technology that allows your word to be spoken throughout the world in this medium. We ask you to bless the readers and bless the listeners and bless the hearers, that they would be anointed anew by your Holy Spirit to understand your word and help us to grow as children of faith. Uh, and to do your work in this broken world. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Reminder to everyone that if you have any questions for us concerning our text, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. kfuo at kfuo.org. Pastor, we studied chapter 3 just last week concerning the mystery of the gospel and also heard of a prayer for spiritual strength. And then chapter 4 brought some rich words about our unity in Christ, how we are to live. But do you have anything to add? Um, You know, it's been a short time period, but anything to add as we look at how it leads up to where we are today to help us? I just think Paul, I mean, Paul is is a good systematician. So if we, if we were to sort of flow chart this this letter he is building to i honestly believe to five and six because in mm-hmm. five i mean everything has been built with the gospel as the mystery of 
salvation for all people, including the Gentiles. And then he talks about this unity of faith that we have, what it means to be in the body of Christ. And now we're getting to sort of the sanctification portion. How, how do we, as believers in Jesus, who are living in, and especially in Ephesus, this pagan uh, world in which this, this sort of Greek temple uh, prostitution system is going, and, and it was just a, a vile society— uh, and very similar. I mean, when when we look at what's going on in the world around us today, it's no different. And yet, we still are living here. We are we are leavening this this world. And how are we going to do that? And uh, mm. sort of Paul sets up the distinctions. And what I really love about chapter five is um, well, I think we talked about this last week. The the reality that there is only one there, there, there basically are two different um, two different beings in this world. There are only children of God and children of and Paul will say it the sons of disobedience again. The, you know, right. and and there's only two 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 ways we can be. It doesn't matter how good we look on the outside or what our philosophy is or what our what our quote faith is. If we're not sons of God, we're sons of disobedience. And um, I think that's important for us in this sort of sort of pluralistic, multicultural world we live in. That while there are many different cultures, many different peoples. And Paul will say he will be all things to all people that some will come to faith. There really are only mm-hmm. two kinds. There's there's those who are saved and those who are not. And I like how you said that, you know, sons of sons of the Lord or sons of God or sons of disobedience, because too often we'll use kind of language that says either you're in or you're out. And although that's true, and I think we need to use that language at times, it, it seems that that we're owned by something or something has claimed us because your son, you know, you don't, you know, you don't, you don't uh, make up being a son yourself. It's something that is kind of, it's given to you. And um, it's something for us to remember, especially the gospel end of that is, okay, you know, it is in or out, but yet, you know, the son's part at least gives us understanding of who we're part of. And we pray that when you, someone says, we're your son to disobedience, hopefully that leads us to some repentance and hopefully to have yeah. a loving God. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Any other thoughts before we begin? Well, that language does remind me of uh, a a principal aspect of the Passover Seder in the Torah. It says, you will teach these things to your sons. And um, the Passover Seder, there is a segment that is traditional in every Seder where we look at the four kinds of sons there are. And one of them is the disobedient son. Uh, And... uh, and the reality that uh, how do we deal with, and, and even in the Passover liturgy, it's very clear that the disobedient son is the son for whom the the redemption from Egypt is not for. Ah, that is a great connection. Thank you for that. And and well, Paul is saying here, don't be one of those. <laughs> Basically, yeah, yeah, don't yeah. be one of those. <laughs> so, so let's dig in here. Verses one and two. Everyone, open up your Bibles. The gifts are ready for you. And reminder to our listeners: we are reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Scriptures. Let us uh, begin. Verses one. Go ahead. Well, I just also think it's important to realize here too that in the Greek, uh, there are these these transitions that we see in chapter and verse things are all artificial. 
And right. I think the transition from four to five is really important. Now, are you speaking of verse 32 specifically or certain, um, uh, are you talking about transition into five, how it speaks? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, well, five, you know, five begins with therefore, which oh, begs right. the context of chapter four. And we got to always keep that in mind that none of this can we do except that the Holy Spirit of God in Christ is within us and we are forgiven children of God. And in that relationship, that's how we can then move into five. Wonderful. Yeah. So my encouragement to the listeners is to look at verses specifically, I would say, verses 30 through 32, especially how it ends. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And and that's a great segue for our verses. So let's get into it here. Verses one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he begins with therefore. How would you describe this transition as we hear these verses? Well, again, the, the therefore begs the context of, of being forgiven in Christ, uh, being being tenderhearted, forgiving one another. The only way we can do that is as God has forgiven us. And so now we have established our our being in God. Now, therefore, how are you going to live that life? And you're going to live that life as imitators of God, as beloved children. And you're going to do, and, and it, 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 these are not 613 commandments to keep. This is part and parcel of your being. This is what makes you children of God. I mean, it's very, it's your very actions that belie your faith. Well, it's funny too, because um, sometimes we downplay be imitators of God, partly because as as good, as good Christians, as, as good Lutherans, we understand that I'm not perfect. I can't be perfect. And sometimes we maybe get a little bit of a joke. I saw this online recently, a shirt and on it, this is kind of how we treat it sometimes is on it. It said, uh, Jesus took naps and then it had like dot, 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 be like Jesus. Right, is that yeah, what he's yeah. talking about here? <laughs> that was a great meme. Yeah. I, I like naps myself. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm not sure it's in the, it, we can't be like Jesus in the physical. Certainly we're not both God and man. We're not, nor will we be called to give ourselves up as a sacrifice for sin once for all. Um, you know, all of those things right. we can't imitate, but it is that it, 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 as an imitator and I agree with you. I can't possibly imitate God. Um, I mean, that's on one hand, that's the original temptation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Be like God. Know the difference between good and evil. You can do this. You can be God yourself. And we live our lives in, in sort of this this de- deception that you know we're the captains of our own future and we are the ones who are going to and that's not at all what it's going to be and that's not what it is to imitate god but it's to imitate god's love for his love for us or others right right and i love you know verse 32 he tells us about um, be tenderhearted, forgiven as Christ has forgiven you. And then he goes back to, like you said, what what do we do? Be imitators of God um, as beloved children and walk in love. How would you describe that? Walking in love as he speaks about Christ's love for us. But what does it mean to walk in love? 
Well, and this is interesting because I, you know, I think the father-son, the father-child relationship that the scriptures give us is a relationship that we should be able to uh, to understand. You know, certainly, you know, partly, I suppose. But I have two sons. Now, I love mm-hmm. my daughters as well, but I'm going to use my sons as my whipping boys. Uh, my <laughs> sons are my sons, and they happen to look a lot like me. And unfortunately, they happen to behave a lot like me. Um, they, I mean, so in, you know, in, in many ways, when she says, be imitators of God as beloved children, you know, I have brought my sons up in such a way that they are both faithful men, husbands and fathers. I'm very blessed, and and they're really cool, cool guys. Uh, and um, and yet, you know, they also have my my predilection to cynicism and all of this stuff. Um, but but they imitate me, whether they even try to or not. In fact, I would bet you money, most sons, who people say you're just like your father, we blanch. Because right. we don't want to be, you know, our human fathers don't want to, we want to be our own people. We don't want to be like our fathers, but we should, but, but they are whether they like it or not. And because mm-hmm. of our faith in Christ, we are like our father, whether we think about it or not. Ah, um, yeah. And that's, and I think that's the key is we don't have to go out and love especially hard give especially more, do especially, you know, more. We just are because we are our father's sons. And that is, that is a great, especially as you look at the rest of the verses in chapter five, is you can read them and just kind of like, okay, today I'm going to work on this. Okay, today I'm going to work on being in the light instead of the darkness. Uh-huh. I'm going to make sure I don't do this immoral thing that he told me not to do here. I'm going to do this holy thing that he told me to do is it all begins with identity, especially here when it talks about um, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, that this is not your sacrifice. It begins with Jesus's sacrifice. Any thoughts on the word fragrant offering and what he might, I mean, does that drum up ideas in Ephesus or even for us today? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, you know, I, I think anybody who was at the cross on that day would say probably Jesus didn't smell good. Um, okay. I mean, he, he had been whipped and beaten. Uh, you know, he had been tortured. He was bleeding. He had been stripped. There was human people all around them who had been outside, uh, you know, cursing and taunting. That, that it would be hard to say, you know, my wife is an essential oils person, so she loves all the scents of whatever, you know, happens. she's happening to diffuse at this particular time. And those <laughs> things, we think of fragrant as something that smells good. But when if you think about what was going on at the temple during the sacrificial system period, the smell of blood, the the altar could not have smelled that great. Um, the, the death, death does not smell good, uh, but it's fragrant. I mean, fragrant simply means, I mean, one, I would maybe, uh, a different word I might've used if I was the interpreter here was pungent, but it, but but death is pungent. Sacrifice is pungent. It uses all of our senses and notoriously our sense of smell. And, um, and yet 
Jesus, while being pungent, was also fragrant because it was beautiful. I mean, that's the tension of Good Friday, right? Why, why is it good? It's horrible, but it's right. good for us. So for us, it's, it's a fragrant offering. It's an offering. And unlike in the temple, you know, the pagan temple system, where they probably did, you know, the temple prostitutes oiled themselves so that they smelled good. You know, they, there was it was a whole different understanding. Uh, I don't think that we can ever say that the temple really smelled that great. And how do we, um, and this, this is really helpful. I never thought about this. And first of all, the pungent offering, because we always think of a fragrance that smells good. But then you think about the burnt offerings, and we're going through First, Second Samuel in our church right now, and he talked about burnt offerings and peace offerings, and it talks about that the odor, the aroma is pleasing to the Lord. And I, I never thought about this. Maybe we want to go this down this road or not, but just, you know, I mean, this would not have been a good-smelling sacrifice of Jesus. That's one thing we don't yeah. think about. We don't think about the smells that were going on, and we usually have a good sense of smell. But any any thoughts on that as far as burnt offerings, peace offerings, the sacrifice of Jesus, how do we put all that together? I'm just thinking out loud as I'm going through this. Sure. But I, I think those things are pleasing to the Lord, not because they smell great, um, uh, although, okay. I mean, you know, because they are the the product of faithfulness. And and Jesus, Jesus's sacrifice is the product of faithfulness. Nothing about it right. uh, from human perspective was good, but it was pleasing to God. Um, uh, wow. And that's, that's, yeah. that's because it's a product of his faithfulness and the the culmination of, of since creation, the plan put into motion for that sacrifice to happen for us. So, and, and you know, wow. the, we, we might think of the temple sacrifices smelling like barbecue, which really smells good, but there's just a lot of blood flying around. And there's, you know, yeah, I mean, it's not just barbecued to a nice medium rare. It is burnt. Right. It is, I mean, nothing good about that smell. And, uh, and, and yet that's pleasing to God because it's the product of the people's faithfulness and the priesthood and all that goes into and it's pleasing to God because the result is forgiveness. That is really a wonderful way for us to look at this, especially as we go through the season of Lent. We're looking at Holy Week. We're looking at all of those things. And I would say one of the gifts that we've had post-2003 is the movie The Passion of the Christ, where we were able yeah. to see and, and in some senses feel, I felt it at least, when you actually saw that nail go in, when you saw the flogging that occurred, you saw the pain and the struggling for breath at the end um, of his life. And that one thing we... I knew there's no way we'll be able to experience it and hopefully don't have to is that understanding of what this smelled like. Um, yeah. and, and with that comes, you know, Minnesota up here, a lot of people go deer hunting. I don't personally, but a lot of people go deer hunting. And I remember you always hear stories of, Hey, we got to that point and I cut this open. And then did you remember that smell? Oh yeah. I remember that smell. And so, you know, they're skinning this deer, they're getting the meat out totally an understanding of, no, no deer person or no hunter that I know loves that part, but they want the meat. And so they go for it. And it's why? Because of the smell. They don't want to go through the smell. So this is helpful for us to think about when a sacrifice of our Lord. Any last thoughts? I, I think I've waxed philosophic for a while. 
<laughs> right, let's continue on. As he gets to more of what we would say, the darkness, verses 3 through 5. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Some powerful words there. We have about two minutes here, Pastor. Let's uh, get this started and we'll get more on the other side of the break. First thoughts. I mean, my first thought is here we see that de- that definition, that one or the other, and there is no yeah. there's no middle gray ground. I mean, it's not like we can, you know, be kind of good and maybe earn another life as a cockroach. Um, you know, it is, it is, there's nothing, no difference. There, there's just, it is that distinction. And he speaks this way very strongly. I was kind of, I was looking at that. I was like, man, this sounds familiar. And I know I've, I've read it all before, just read it in Galatians, but first Corinthians six and Galatians oh, yeah. five speaks almost identical words where it says, um, these people, whether it's immoral or idolater or so forth, will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, if you read that, there's no way you can read that and go, well, I'm not sure what Paul's saying here. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's pretty clear. Absolutely, there's, yeah. There's no space. And, you know, all of those churches have in common is that they are churches that are predominantly in the, the old Greco-pagan uh, temple system, uh, and, and that system is horrible. I mean, it's very um, sexually immoral. I'm, not, I'm always struck by it. You know, I, there's a church here in St. Louis. It's called the Corinthian Baptist Church. And I'm always amazed that anybody would admit that they're the Corinthian Baptist Church. Because, <laughs> I mean, the Corinthian Church was really chastised by Paul because they were participating in the things of the society that they lived in. And Paul is saying, don't be a part of that stuff. And, you know, one of the things that strikes me is the crude joking. I think we, even as Lutherans, we, we're, we're fine with the, with the freedom of some sort of, some level of crudity. And, and there's no room for that. I remember when I was a school principal and I had to have my kids write sentences for bad language. And this was one of the texts I would use. <laughs> <laughs> And was that successful in your uh, endeavors? Did it help? Got the idea. They would always argue with me. There's nowhere in the Bible does it say you can't cuss. And, you know, you know how it <laughs> And so, you know, I, I showed them this Colossians 3, you know, don't let filthy language come from your lips. Um, right. You know, they all, they all like to draw the line at the Lord's name in vain. They didn't do that, but it doesn't say anywhere else that you can't say bad words. No, that's not true. Well, let's get to our break here, and we'll talk further about these verses and the seriousness of sin and how we are to live as children of the light. But we need to take our break, so we are studying Ephesians chapter 5 with Pastor Pastor Parviz, and we'll be right back.
On this Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, Vernon and Elizabeth Cooney of Hillsboro, Missouri. Vernon and Elizabeth made a gift to KFUO Radio in recognition of their 30th wedding anniversary today and for all the blessings the Lord has given them throughout their years together. Thank you, Vernon and Elizabeth Cooney, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. Here is what our listeners are saying about KFUO Radio. It's like we Bible-believing Christians have our own special uh, event. I love that. wish the whole world could belong to Jesus. I really appreciate this, and I'm enjoying it very, very much. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. studying Ephesians chapter 5 with Pastor Kevin Parviz. And Pastor, I want to take one step back, and this actually has nothing to do with the Bible, but I love St. Louis. I lived there for three years, love to visit St. Louis. So I'd like to ask the locals, what is your favorite restaurant? This is not, this is not, I'm not asking what high school you went to, Uh, probably doesn't apply. That's a St. Louis question. But what is your favorite restaurant in St. Louis? Because when I visit, I want to go to a, a new restaurant. So what's your favorite restaurant? My favorite restaurant? Yeah. Oh, gosh, there are so many. I mean, it's, it's hard not to I mean, it depends on this, what I want to eat for dinner, obviously, but <laughs> you can't beat Dennis McDaniels across the street from my church, so. Say it again. What is it? You can't beat Seamus McDaniels across the street oh. from the church here. All right. That's a good reminder that if you go to this restaurant, you can go and visit um, uh, uh, Kaivi Shalom right across the street and learn more about the Holy Scriptures. Anyways, all right. I'm going to I'm going to make a list here. And uh, when I visit St. Louis again, I might try to stop by right next door to you. So we have here in Go ahead. A million great restaurants. Uh, this is a great food scene in this city. And uh, it is. You, I'd, I'd love to take you around for a week. Let's, okay, let's try it. Not sure how that would get done in, in today's world, but we can maybe we'll try to figure it out someday. Yeah. All right, so we're back on back on the farm, as my dad would always say in Ephesians chapter five. Um, he went down a whole laundry list, and as you said so well, that they're in a Greco-pagan system, and there's a lot of sexual immorality. You see that throughout the Bible. Um, any thoughts on why he keeps hitting hard on sexual immorality? Well, and I think that this goes back to the Hebrew Scriptures, too. I mean, this is the very same thing that the children of Israel wrestled with when they came into Canaan. I mean, there was the Asherah poles, and oh, sorry about that, the nope. Asherah poles and uh, the sex cults and things that were going on even in those days. And the reality is, if we're imitators of God we and His Holy Spirit dwells in us, 
It is the words that come out of our mouth and the actions that our body takes that defile us so much. I mean, it's, I mean, there are, I'm never going to sit here and categorize sins, but sexual immorality, and I don't think it's any, it's any coincidence that it's, that it's sexual immorality that is challenging the church today with, uh, same-sex marriage and with the affirming churches and all of those things that are going on uh, that are diluting the doctrines of the church um, because we want to please the flesh and this tension between flesh and spirit that every one of us wrestles with who are believers, uh, we can get beaten by the flesh. And so this, uh, I think sexual immorality is, uh, I mean, the, the, the dearth of pornography in the world today the things that there are, the, the devil is just throwing this stuff at us because he knows that's where we're most vulnerable. And this is a reminder, too, for our listeners, is that clearly this is a major issue, maybe maybe for yourself, but also for family members, um, for those of whom you dearly love, and a temptation for all people. And one of the things that the church holds to is that we are not the church as anti-sexual things. Um, we are the church of Jesus, and obviously there's there's a gift of sexuality and 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 of a, of a husband and wife and, and and holiness in in singleness and those and such things. But what church is about, and this is why I love First Corinthians chapter six. He speaks about all these lists of things where you'll not enter the kingdom of God. But then he says, and such were some of you, reminding them yeah. that they were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the church is a place to go where people struggle with such things, not to affirm your struggles, as far as, especially if it's against the word of God, but to show you that it is Jesus who cleanses you, who will strengthen you to move forward in holiness. That is what the church is about. That's what pastors are there to give you those holy words and a reminder. This is, we all understand this. We know this is real, but there is a way to live holy in light and not in darkness. That is what the church is for. Any last thoughts on that? I just think that is, and and the reality is that when um, those succumb to sexual temptation and we are um, feeling that, and the devil loves to beat us up and feel and, and, and tell us how terrible we are, just plead the blood of Jesus and we are forgiven. We will be, we are continually forgiven in our repentance. uh, And, and there's plenty of places to go to get help to overcome uh, this kind of, rampant sexual temptation that's in the world today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's move on as he continues to speak about what we are not to take part in and also reminds us of our identity in the light of Jesus. So I'm going to read quite a bit here, verses 6 through 14, because there's no real good place to stop. And there's a lot in here. So 6 through 14. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they, are, they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, 
awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's a lot of uh, words here, but I, I think I would like to begin for you to talk about being a son, son of God and a son of disobedience. And he says, don't hang out with the sons of disobedience. Can you kind of unpack that, who they are? Well, again, um, I think the, the phrase comes from a Hebrew expression that describes the, one of these four kinds of sons that we are to teach our faith to. Uh, especially in the Passover Seder, and it's the one who will not receive God's promise. And so um, the sons of disobedience are are the distinction between the sons of God and, and everyone else. If you, no matter how, you know, we look at the pantheons of philanthropy today, uh, no matter how good they are or, uh, you know, by by world standards, how wonderful their works are. If they have refused to receive the gift of God in Christ Jesus, they are sons of disobedience. And um, and I, and, I, and I think we just have to always keep that in mind. And when we cavort with such, we're um, in danger also of adopting that worldly um, philosophy that says we just need to be good. Uh, and and that's dangerous to our faith as well. And so, and I think we're seeing in the larger church today where we see the corrupting influence of society because we're desperate to somehow connect with a culture that we have no business connecting with. Mm. Mm. And the word he says there, therefore do not become partners with them. And this uh-huh. is different than living and, you know, uh, um, how how does the line go? I'm I'm running a blank here. Do not live in the world, but of the world. No, no, don't live of the world, but in the world. In the world, but I'm not of the world. There you go. See, I just I lost my mind there for a moment. But yeah, don't become partners with them. And he's already gone through the list. This is what this is what the sons of disobedience do. It goes down that whole list in the previous verses. And then he says, for one time, he doesn't say that you were in darkness. He says you were darkness. These are pretty right. strong words. And and I think the key there, too, I, 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 don't, I just want to emphasize this because we see this especially with politics and social media and everything else. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Mm. If, if words are not words of God, if they are not words of hope, not words uh. of forgiveness, they are empty. And all of the rest of the stuff that we're dealing with today is just empty words, and we're getting deceived by them. And so we have this great division in our nation, red versus blue, whatever it might be. It's because so many are deceived by empty words. And so we, right. we've just got to stand on the Word of God that is full and not become partners with the, these empty words. And I, I, I'm so grieved often when I—because I have to confess, I have— we. Our church has a Facebook page. We, I, I have to deal with Facebook. It's part and parcel of, of our social media presence. But I, I never will post. Well, I wish I could say never. I can't. Yeah. Okay. But my <laughs> desire is never to post anything on my account or on the church's account that is that is controversial other than Jesus Christ. Right. I don't want anybody to trip over anything I say except for Christ. Uh, and then they can trip all they want. Um, 
And so that's what we need to do as, you know, as we remember. And I am always grieved by the brothers of mine on, on Facebook who post all this, you know, horrendous stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these are, you know, I don't, I'm very careful about who I choose as my friends on Facebook because I don't want to see all this stuff. And, and yet it still gets in there. And so I think we just have to really be careful <laughs> as, we, as we walk in that, remembering that we are not part of that world. We were in darkness, but now by faith, the light has shined in our hearts. The Holy Spirit has indwelled us through our baptism. I, I looked up this, this, this phrase that Paul says, therefore it says, I have no idea mm-hmm. what that is. I, I, all I can, and I, you know, the Lutheran study Bible suggests that it might have been a first century baptismal hymn. Well, I think that makes sense to me, but, um, but that, that's who we are. We were sleeping and, and we weren't even sleeping. We were dead. Dead. And mm-hmm. Christ raised us with himself through baptism. And, um, and perhaps this hymn is talking about the resurrection to come, but the, the suggestion of the baptismal hymn is fine, too. Uh, but that's the reality, is that we, we were dead already. We've been dead. Don't die again. And it's a great hymn, you know, six six ninety seven. It's just a uh, wake, O sleeper, rise from death, you know. And, and it's a reminder for us, because Ephesians 2 is it basically says when you're when you're in sin you're dead. I mean, this is who we are. We have no shot, no opportunity. This is where it doesn't say in darkness that you were darkness, but we arise because of Christ, and then we're in the light. But just as a caveat, I and I know this will be a shock to some Lutherans. I'm not sure the Lutheran service book was there in Ephesus in this kind of all right. <laughs> I think that him was written about this. <laughs> <laughs> that would be shocking maybe i'm, I'm not sure yeah i'm just throwing it out there i'm just suggesting <laughs> <laughs> oh well now we you know now you know it everybody it is uh, <laughs> they were not there anyways so as we look at this it also says these words of uh let no part this is verse 11 so much there's so much in these verses because probably spent all day Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And then anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. This is a part that is, is quite interesting to me because we think about, you know, whenever there's light, this is John chapter one, no darkness can overcome it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that with and you see a light that, you know, there's just no darkness that can be there if it's fully light. So any thoughts on that in our Christian walk, um, walking in love, as Paul says, of exposing, using the light to expose the darkness? Any thoughts on that? Well, and I, you know, again, I think a lot of people think that if they're exposing government corruption or what, and they're, and they're using language to do that, they're exposing it with the light. But I, I'm not sure that's, I mean, certainly that's our role to do. I don't know if it is on Facebook, but we should do that in our regular conversation. <laughs> Things that we, you know, we we do need to expose corruption and falsehood and all of those things. But when we talk about light, I'm co- I'm convinced that in the scriptures, the light is exposing the works of the devil, mm-hmm. um, and and the light is that light that is Christ that shines. I mean, when 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 Isaiah talks about being a light to the Gentiles, the Jewish people. 
the whole point of that is not to let them know how good it is to be Jewish and why, why how they need to live. It is that we are to uh, we are from the cradle that we are going to bring the Messiah that is going to bring salvation. Light is always indicative of salvation. And when we think about our, you know, our epiphany celebrations and the light going out to the to the to the world because of the, you know, the Magi from the East and all of that, that's all about the knowledge of God. That is not the knowledge of whether or not, you know, this this or that is corrupt. It's the knowledge of God. And so that those works of darkness, we can argue all we want about worldly corruption. But if we don't talk about Jesus and bring that light into people's lives, nothing else is ever going to change. Well, and that lines up with Isaiah 9, right? The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. I mean, this light is not, wow, look, at the Israelites now are walking in a new way. No, the light is Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> that it, it, it points, this is what we're doing. This is the light that we need to expose it's a weird word to use exposed, but to, to shine on people, um, to remind them of this is what you do with these things, uh, the sin, the darkness. Oh, what do you need? Light. Yeah. I think exposed is a great because because the reality is they have all the knowledge that they need. God has, you know, the scriptures testify that even creation has testified to his presence to people. And people are just living in abject defiance of that light. And so we are to expose that darkness within them and That's show true. them the light. Um, and That's so, true. I mean, it is, it is our defiance that keeps us from loving God and, and receiving Jesus. And, and so that defiance is something that the, the light needs to shine on. And, and as we said, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. I mean, this is not a, our defiance is what brings death, but it is Christ the light who brings us new life, a little resurrection, baptismal language, like you said, and reminds us too, and this this language uses all time in First John and in the Gospel of John, well, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. This is the light. This is how we are to walk, and this is our hope. Last thoughts before we move on, Pastor? Well, I think the last uh, few verses are pretty important about, we've talked now about how do we deal with the world, but how do we deal with one another? Ah, yes, let's, let's do this. Verses 15 to 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord, what the will of the Lord is. Look carefully where you walk. You know, this isn't necessarily just walk, look out for potholes or look for something that will sprain your ankle. But what is he talking about here? Just, just, it is so easy. The world has, I mean, we see the signs and we want to follow the signs. Uh, we have to look everywhere. We're going to get lost. I mean, if it's from a purely human thing, as we're walking, it's easy to get lost if we don't keep an eye on where we are, right? And and the reality is in our faith as well. We should always and and not as wise but unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So we're walking in evil days. Mm. We are walking in evil days. And if we aren't wise and always looking carefully 
And again, in the next verse, we're discerning what the will of the Lord is. And the will of the Lord is always to bring other people to Jesus, to live our lives in such a way that the, that the kingdom of God comes in people's lives. Great catechism there. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's how we walk. And, it, and, and all, the, uh, all the asides, how we, you know, how we feed the poor, the poor will always be with us. How we, you know, affect government, government will always be corrupt. Um, we can season and leaven those things, and we have to be involved in the things of the world. But the will of God is that we transform individuals' lives in this world that they too might be part of the elect. I mean, we don't know who, I mean, they are the elect if they're the elect, but we don't know that. So God calls us to talk to everyone. Absolutely. And your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path is it, it, you say it all the time, but it has so much meaning, especially when you look at this, that what surrounds you is evil. And so, Lord, may that word keep me on the right path. And this is I was thinking about as you were saying this, this is important today. You think about the analogy and it's more true than ever is that, yeah, we need to pay attention to where we're walking. But guess what we're doing nowadays when we're walking? We're looking at our cell phone. And so how easy it is to get lost. And that is a great analogy toward our Christian lives and how easily we can get lost. Last thoughts. Let's move on to the next three verses. Yeah, we've got to finish up. But not just lost. Don't don't run into post. So. <laughs> That's true. That is very true. Let's, let's move on here. 18 through 20. I want to spend a little time on 21. So 18 through 20. And do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's telling us to be filled. How do we do this, Pastor? I mean, Paul says, be filled continuously with the Holy Spirit. And here he says, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, I always get stuck with don't get drunk on wine. I enjoy wine, but I don't want to be drunk <laughs> on it. I don't want to lose my, uh, my capacity to always be filled with the Spirit instead of be filled with the Spirit's small s. Um, you know, it, it is, again, constantly keeping in mind, I, I, when I... And I'm I'm a terrible example of this, but when you take your walks and you're walking carefully and you're not looking at your cell phone, look at creation and give God the glory for the beauty that's mm-hmm. all around you. Uh, even in some build, you know, that human beings have built, that gift of creation God has given them. I mean, I think we just, you know, being filled with the Spirit is constantly praying, uh, constantly giving glory to God for the things that are around us. And, yeah, I get distracted just like everybody else, but uh, I don't typically walk around looking at my cell phone. That's something I don't do. But, um, (laughs) you know, the the reality is, uh, and I guess we can give glory to God for the fact that we're in communication with our family and all of that, but we can be obsessed even with the things of creation, and that's what getting drunk on wine is. Wine is a good gift of God's creation. Don't abuse it. Right, right. And and this is something— that there's two things that come to mind for me is one, uh, a couple years ago, I came back from hearing Dr. John Kleinick talk about the Holy Spirit. 
And one of his mantras was to say, you know, we should probably say more often that we come to worship to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, for some reason it's weird because you're like, well, that doesn't sound Lutheran. And you're like, wait, it's exactly Lutheran. I mean, this is exactly who we are. We're, you know, we're hearing the word of God. So you, you get together being filled with the Holy Spirit. For you, our listeners, think about that next time you hear the word of God. I am being filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit points us, as he says in the end, um, to, uh, to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's job is to give us and remind us more about Jesus, not himself, but directs us back to him. Psalms, hymns, spiritual thongs, songs, and, and really give thanks to God for all that he's given to us wherever you go, wherever you walk, whatever you do. This is a real joyful part of scripture as we hear these words. Last thoughts. We have about five minutes left, and I want to have one last thought on this and then get to verse 21. Well, go ahead. All right. So I, I just um, I, I, I always have something else to say. <laughs> you know, when I when I was a new believer, I really struggled with praying constantly, uh, continuously mm-hmm. praying and filled with the Spirit, because I grew up in a context where in prayer you are constantly devoted and you're focused on prayer. You're davening, whatever it is, but prayer is just having this ongoing and constant conversation with God. And you don't have to be on your knees or, or prostrate on the floor with your nose on the ground to be in prayer. God just wants to have this on, and just like I do with my kids. I want to have this ongoing conversation with my kids. That's what God wants from us. And that's what I think ongoing prayer is. And that's, and that's a great analogy as we look at uh, uh, the small catechism talking about prayer. With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and that we are his true children. So with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him as dear children ask their dear father. That is exactly what prayer is and exactly how you to be a son of God as opposed to son of disobedience is an understanding of that you're able to go to him like a loving father will listen to us in our greatest time of need. Do you have anything else, Pastor, as I said before? <laughs> Are you still there? Sorry. But I'm done. Okay, all right. Verse 21. Oh. Verse 21. This yeah. verse 21 brings us to verse 22, and the rest of our verses will go through um, on Thursday. But I wanted to get to it today. Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting can be kind of seen as a bad word in our world, even though we're submitting all the time. Um, what is he telling us here about the submission to our Lord Jesus and to well, one I another? I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want to spoil the, the Thursday Bible study with Ephesians 5.22 and following. But right. submission, is, submission is impossible unless we are trusting and we are... Um, living in a relationship where we know we're not going to get hurt. So that, and I I think it's a lot, I think that's a lot of people's problem with submitting to God is they have this unfortunate concept of God as this wrathful, angry, send you to hell kind of guy. Uh, And we don't want to submit because we don't feel trust. We don't trust that relationship. Um, Mm. And so when we are with our brothers and sisters in this kind of joint, submission to one another, it's because we live in such a relationship that we know that we're not going to get hurt. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the whole business with husbands and wives and the tension there. 
that you're going to get to in the rest of this chapter. But the submission is a good thing because when we're in that kind of a relationship, we are absolutely safe in the relationship that we're in. And it's a good reminder, too, where we started, where it says, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It reminds me of uh, Philippians chapter 2, when it says he became nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Reminding us that our submission begins in Christ's submission for us, and then that outflows to our submission to others because we trust in God. And clearly, we're going to be able to dig into this a lot more on Thursday. But any, I'm going to go here because we have about just less than a minute here, Pastor. Is If you were to look at these verses today, how would you summarize in a word or a sentence? There is either the sons of disobedience or the sons of God, and the sons of God have an inheritance in, in eternity. And so our life in Christ in this place is to speak God's word into the lives of the sons of disobedience that they too might become obedient and submit to our Father and to one another. Pastor Kevin Parviz of Congregation Kai V. Shalom helping us today with Ephesians chapter 5. Pastor Parviz, thank you for being our guest. My blessing. Thank you so much. Saints of our Lord, we need to change. Imitate Christ. Stay from sexual morality. No more coveting or crude jokes. Be in the Word and be filled with the Holy Spirit. But it is the light of Jesus that shines upon you. And when we walk in this love, it is the blood of Jesus that will set us free and forgive us of all sins. Lord, help us as we are blessed this day. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.